This week's parasha consists of two episodes that seem to be a study in contrasts. In the first, in chapter 18, Yisra, Moses' father-in-law, a Midianite priest, gives Moses his first lesson in leadership. In the second, the prime mover is God himself, who at Mount Sinai makes a covenant with the Israelites in an unprecedented and unrepeated epiphany. For the first and only time in history, God appears to an entire people, making a covenant with them and giving them the world's most famous brief code of ethics, the Ten Commandments. Now, what can there be in common between the practical advice of a Midianite and the timeless words of Revelation itself? There is an intended contrast, and it's an important one. The forms and structures of governance, of management, of leadership aren't specifically Jewish. They're part of Chochmah, the universal wisdom of humankind. Jews have known many forms of leadership, by prophets, elders, judges, kings, by the Nasi in Israel under Roman rule and the Reish Galuta in Babylon, by Shiva Tuvehair, in other words, town councils, and various forms of oligarchy, and by other structures up to and including the democratically elected Knesset of the State of Israel. The forms of government are not eternal truths, nor are they exclusive to Israel. In fact, the Torah says about monarchy that the time will come when the people will say, Let us set up a king over us like all the nations around us. The only case in the entire Torah in which the Israelites are commanded or permitted to imitate other nations. There's nothing specifically Jewish about political structures. What is specifically Jewish is the principle of the covenant at Sinai, that Israel is the only nation whose sole ultimate king and legislator is God himself. Magid Devarav Liakov, he has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel, says the psalm. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Hallelujah. What the covenant at Sinai established for the first time was the moral limits of power. All human authority is delegated authority subject to the overarching sovereignty of God and the moral imperatives of the Torah itself. This side of heaven, there is no absolute power. That is what has always set Judaism apart from the empires of the ancient world and the secular nationalisms of the West. So Israel can learn practical politics from the Midianite, but it must learn the limits of politics from God himself. Despite the contrast, however, there is one theme in common to Yisrael and the revelation of Sinai, namely delegation, the distribution and democratization of leadership. Only God can rule alone. The theme is introduced by Yisrael himself. He arrives to visit his son-in-law and finds him leading alone. He says, What you are doing is not good. This, incidentally, is one of the only two places in the whole Torah where the words lotov, not good, appear. The other is in Bereshis chapter 2, where God says lotov adam lovado, it is not good for man to be alone. We cannot lead alone, we cannot live alone. To be alone is not good. So Yisrael proposes delegation. You, he says to Moses, must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him, teach them his decrees and instructions, 
show them the way they are to live and how they are to believe, behave, but select capable men from all the people, people who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. This is a significant devolution. It means that among every thousand Israelites, there were 131 leaders, one head of a thousand, ten heads of a hundred, twenty heads of fifty, and a hundred heads of ten. So one in every eight adult male Israelite was expected to undertake some form of leadership role. In the next chapter, prior to the revelation of Mount Sinai, God commands Moses to propose a covenant with the Israelites. In the course of this, God articulates what is in fact the mission statement of the Jewish people. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be to me Mamlachet Kohanim Vagoy Kadosh, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now this is a very striking statement. The truth is that every nation had its priests. In the book of Genesis we encounter Malkitzedek, Abraham's contemporary, described as Kohen Le'el Elyon, priest of the Most High God. The story of Joseph mentions Egyptian priests whose land wasn't nationalized. Yisra himself was a Midianite priest. In the ancient world, there was nothing distinctive about priesthood. Every nation had priests and holy men. What was distinctive about Israel is that it was to become a nation, every one of whose members was to be a priest, each of whose citizens was called on to be holy. I vividly recall standing with Rabbi Adin Steinzeltz in the General Assembly of the United Nations in August 2000 at a unique gathering of 2,000 religious leaders representing all the major faiths in the world. I pointed out to him that even in that distinguished company, we were different. We were almost the only religious leaders wearing suits. All others wore robes of office. It's an almost universal phenomenon that priests and holy people wear distinctive garments to indicate that they are set apart. That, after, after all, is the key meaning of the word kadosh, holy. It means set apart. In both post-biblical Judaism, there were no robes of office because everyone was expected to be holy. In fact, Theophrastus, a pupil of Aristotle, called Jews a nation of philosophers, reflecting the same idea. Everyone was expected to be wise. Yet in what sense were Jews ever, mamlechet kohanim, a kingdom of priests? The Kohanim were an elite within the nation, members of the tribe of Levi, descendants of Aaron, the first high priest. There never was a full democratization of Kete Kahuna, the crown of priesthood. Faced with this problem, the commentators offer two solutions. The word Kohanim may, says Rashi and Rashbam, mean princes or leaders, Sarim, or it may, says Ibn Ezra and Ramban, mean Mashartim, servants. But that actually is precisely the point. The Israelites were called on to be a nation of servant leaders. They were the people called on by virtue of the covenant to accept responsibility, not only for themselves and their families, but for the moral spiritual state of the nation as a whole. 
This is the principle that later became known as the idea they call Israel All Israelites are responsible for one another. Jews were the people who didn't leave leadership to a single individual, however holy or exalted, or even to an elite. They were the people, every one of whom was expected to be both a prince and a servant, that is to say, every one of whom was called on to be a leader. Never was leadership more profoundly democratized. That's, of course, what made Jews historically hard to lead. As Chaim Weizmann, first president of Israel, famously said, I had a nation of a million presidents. Or as I once put it, the Lord may be our shepherd, but no Jew was ever a sheep. At the same time, it's what led Jews to have an impact on the world out of all proportion to their numbers. Jews constitute only the tiniest fragment, one-fifth of one percent of the population of the world, but an extraordinarily high percentage of leaders in any given field of human endeavor. To be a Jew is to be called on to lead.